<laughs> Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. In a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. Hello, Clay Groves here, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the Fish Nerds Podcast. Welcome to the show. John King, the crappy hippie, broadcasting from the East Coast. John, what's going on? Dude, I am up in your neck of the woods, kind of. Not clear up in your neck of the woods, but I am on down here in Massachusetts, which is a long way from my Kansas home. But I am staying with my daughter, Sarah. And by the time you all hear this, we're kind of in the time capsule. You all know that. So I'll be back to Kansas by then. But um What's right now, yeah, I'm sitting in East Hampton, Massachusetts in a bedroom, so uh, I can have a little privacy to have a podcast with you, Clay. Well, I'm glad you did. Now, incidentally, John, my Facebook memories, 2019, on this date, you and I perched fished on Silver Lake, I think, with uh, Rich Collins and my kid Zoe. And Blue Jay was there, too? I believe Blue Jay was there. I can't remember that part. I can well, only remember wouldn't. 50% of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I remember Blue Jay because she was obsessed with the Hamilton soundtrack and kept playing it over and over and over again. Uh, that's and, Blue Jay. Uh, yep. And but then when I asked her, could she please cut me a little slack? She slapped on a Wally Pleasant le- record, and we got to listen to a whole bunch of Wally Pleasant songs, which was just perfect. Perfect. And as we know, Wally Pleasant does our theme song here. So, yep, it's oh, nice yeah. to raise ner- kids who are nerds. <laughs> so. Kids who are nerds, they're the best. Old '90s college rock. I mean, you can't you can't get better than that. Nope. All right, John, why don't you give us a show rundown? Well, what we're going to start off with uh, is a book review from our good friend, the fish rap writer. And he's been so prolific for us lately. Hey, the man cannot be stopped. He loves the outdoors. He's a great outdoor writer. Now, you all know you need to go to fishrapwriter.com. If if you like this review and you want to read his uh, write-up of it, uh, this book sounds fantastic. He's going to send it to me. I definitely want to read it, but... uh, yeah, he's very prolific. In fact, he uh, sent me a book review and he sent me a story to put on Fish in the News. So whether Todd's here in voice, he is always here in spirit. Awesome. Awesome. I still got to get with him on on the show and get to know him a little bit. Well, dude, I was going to, you know, if I could have stretched this trip out a little more, um, I would have. I was trying to come up with a place. He lives in near um, South Kingston, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. I'm in. East Hampton, Massachusetts, and you're in Conway. Right. And you can take this uh, thing called Calc Maps and make radius. Oh. So I thought I was going to make a two-hour radius from each place and find some place in the middle, like maybe the south end of Lake Winnipesaukee or something like that. That would be yeah, probably for probably a meetup actually, place. It, it or actually, the Merrimack, the Merrimack River in Lawrence or Lowell would probably be more central. Yeah. Well, whatever kind of makes us drive kind of the equal amount of time. It doesn't have to be strictly yeah. that. But I thought, hey, we'll just all do something mm-hmm. new by uh, meeting in the middle. So maybe next time. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Yeah. And, and of course, I filled my schedule. I just, got, I just got cast on a production of A Christmas Carol playing A Ghost of Christmas Present. So all my free time now that fishing season wrapped up today oh. is working on memorizing my lines. Memorize your lines. Now you do a lot of Christmas stuff. You have you done this before? Have you been in a character before? In Christmas Carol, I was once yes. Cratchit. Yeah, I got reviewed. Cratchit. Yes, my review in the yeah. paper by the critic was 
Groves makes an adequate Bob Cratchit. (laughs) (laughs) And the award goes to for adequacy. Uh huh. Uh, that's better because yeah. I was aiming for mediocre. So <laughs> I call that a win. I was just that happy is... to be mentioned. <laughs> All right, man. I just love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, listen, we're yucking it up here, but how would you like to hear about a wonderful book uh, that sounds very much up the um, John Gerock type essay writing? And uh, it's got fishing. It's got reflection. It's got philosophizing and more fishing and more things to say. Uh, let's let our main man, Todd Correa, fill us in on the meditative fisherman. Hello to everybody out there in the fish nerds world. This is Todd Carrer coming to you from the less than glamorous fish rap studios here on the East Coast. I'd, uh, you know, I just want to share this with you, John. Uh, I read this great book from a, a British writer. He's a big fly fisherman. You know, he's been all around the world. His name is Brian Archer. And he wrote this book called The Meditative Fisherman. Lifetime Reflections on Fly Fishing. You know, as uh, as the water gets cooler, the air starts to get cold, we're going to be firing up those wood stoves pretty soon. People start thinking again about reading books. So this is, uh, let's put this on the fall, winter reading list. It's um, it's it's really cool. It, it basically floats through Mr. Archer's angling travels, but in the midst of all the drift boats, and, you know, he introduces uh, guides and, and flies, and it, something emerges like this significant historical anecdotes and like these really heartfelt observations on Eastern religions, personal sacrifice, meditation. And they blend to create, like, not quite just a biography, but it's a series of slow, careful, like, ruminative messages on life and trout. You know, despite the title, which does have the word meditative in it, I wasn't really prepared for frequent philosophy. And he talks about prostate cancer. Ouch. And, you know, thousand-mile views of personal life on our little planet. This is not a meandering philosophy textbook sprinkled with trout, and it does not read as one person pushing their world on ours. We have enough of that in America here. It reminds us that there's more to fishing in life than just casting and keeping. So listen to this. He says, There are times when I am but a primeval being, a caveman. Ancient instincts flood through me when I hook a fish, adrenaline surges through my veins, and the latent hunting instinct of prehistoric man takes over. How about that? I mean, that's amazing. His writing is really wonderful. It, you know, it asks for some time. It rekindles your personal experiences. Um, This life is challenging, you know, like fishing. Anglers, well, good anglers, learn each time they approach a bank or a shore. And not all appreciate what they see, but those good anglers... They have really deep wells into which they can draw for inspiration or solid footing. Mr. Archer brings us along to great fishing destinations like Montana, New Zealand, the Maldives, Scotland, and Spain, in addition to several waters of his homeland. Uh, Chapters often begin with talks about flies, rods, and guide instructions, and then everything sort of smoothly translates to high-level thoughts of how we all accumulate stuff and tackle boxes in our heads and how we can improve organization for both Lives reduced, reclaimed, and, you know, appreciated. He says, he he wrote, If I now try to be more like the person I am comparing myself with, then I am denying what I am myself. In the process of not comparing, I accept others completely as who they are. I really didn't see that coming in a fishing book. But I loved it. In midway, I realized Mr. Archer was offering me some pause. Life, like angling, like fishing, is often about the present. You know, it's the moment, the photo, the fish we land or love or lose. His writing reminded me about the days between. When we are born, we grow old and and then we pass. Presiding in the middle can be congestion or easy winds, clutter or space. He wrote, 
In fact, it is better to accept that something might or might not happen and be satisfied with both those outcomes. Patience and expectation seem to be inextricably intertwined when in fact it's not about the waiting but about accepting the present and the future, whatever they might provide. How about that? He sublimely asks the reader between details of Adams and Elkhair Caddis and Clint Hammerflies to contemplate how we understand time, how we eventually look back with scrutiny, hopefully happily, and then apply that to what's important right now. You know, perspective is everything. I've said that a million times. It's one of my favorite expressions because I believe life and fishing, and with each new page, it was clear that Mr. Archer is grateful for his life and his opportunities. Mr. Archer wrote, our party had some expert fishermen, and I would class some of them as world-class, though that distinction didn't include me, which shows his occasional moments of self-deprecation, but his angling talent is true, obviously, even without his saying so. He rose to a level of successful competitive casting, uh, he landed fish throughout the world, and remained humble for his talents. He praises writers like John Girak and Will Storr, Professor Bruce Hood, and teacher Satya Narayan Gunka. But this isn't a fan book. It's an uncommon journey laced with fleeting youth, changing health, considerate mindfulness, devoted practitioners, and enough lovely locations to bring together a man's life immersed in water. Brian Archer is a grateful angler for sure, and he's a great writer. Seasoned through 135 pages are introductions to exceptional ancient and modern writers, creators of now universal fly patterns, and peaceful teachers of meditation, all whom positively affected his life. And there's lots of fishing here, provided without ego or vanity, which is refreshing. His travels are presented in a style similar to Mr. Girak's, on easy prose that stays true to events, and never overlooks surrounding beauty. The Meditative Fisherman was not the book I expected, because I had foolishly created expectations with no basis. And as I loved this book, that may be the best recommendation. He wrote, I wish I was able to come to terms with what fishing is all about and understand the many contradictions that continue after all these years to puzzle me. Amen. You can purchase your copy through Ensemble Publishing, uh, major book retailers, or you can give us a ring over here at the Fish Wrap Studios and we'll put you in touch with Mr. Uh, with Mr. Archer. So, Cheers to Mr. Archer. It's a brilliant book. I hope you all get a chance to pick it up. The Meditative Fisherman was definitely uh, an excellent read. All right. That's the book review for this week, my friend. I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody in the Fish Nerds world. Proud. All right. Does that sound like a book you would like to read, young man? Well, you know, the thing is, John, is is I, <laughs> I don't want to read more books, but now I have to. Yes. So I am I am so busy, but I have to make time now for that one. So there's there's and there's so many books coming out. So the, the list keeps gonna keep growing, but I'll add that to my list. Well, I tell you, I miss the days when I could just sit on a Sunday or something and read books, but I always, it's one of my ways to unwind. So I, I, if I don't get to read 15, 20 minutes before I go to bed, I have a real hard time sleeping. So I get through books, but it, it, it takes a while now. You know what I'm I, saying? And, yeah. I'm a three month book guy. <laughs> I, it, no joke. My, my wife makes fun of me. Like, are you still reading that same book? I'm like, yep. Well, and then just, my daughter gives me heck because she's like, are you reading that over again? And it's like, yeah, it was, it's even better. It's like soup is better on the second time around. I, I'm just telling you. All right. Yeah. So I, you know, so I get jammed up, but I'm definitely going to get into the meditative fisherman because it just sounds like uh, something I need to read. It's right in my wheelhouse, as the kids say today. All right. Get after it. And by the well, way, thank you, Todd, for doing that. Yes. Thank you very much, Todd. And what do you say? We do a little fish in the news. What about right. that? News, news, fish in the news. 
All right. Well, well, <laughs> let's do you want to do the, no, you want you me to do me. it? You want to you you do this first one? No, you I'll do take it. this first one. It. All right. Well, I don't have one. Let's get, you don't have one tonight. <laughs> well, I've got a, I've got a special one I picked out just for you. So that's almost as good. Um, this one comes from the fish rap writer, our own Todd Correa, and it's about hydrilla invading India, India Lake. Excuse me. It's about hydrilla invading Indian Lake in Rhode Island. And this is wild, John. And before you get into the story, sure. I was be- just on TikTok and, and somehow hydrilla came up in my TikTok feed and I did not <laughs> go look it up or anything. It's just in the zeitgeist. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, you go ahead. I, go ahead. I well, you're, you're frightening me because it makes me think it's linked to these online notes that we use and somehow, you know, the, the, the robots are getting to us, but that's okay. Well, here's all- how, you know, John, if you're not paying for it, you are the product. So if, ah. if Google is free, you're the product. Facebook, well, all that stuff. If it's free, you're what's for sale. Well, we are for sale and mm-hmm. our interest in Hydrilla is ongoing and you can keep popping it in our face because it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. And, you know, what Todd points out in his article is very well written, of course. It's a very good read. Uh, but we're talking about a highly adaptable invasive. I mean, picture, picture, picture your average tank, your average fish tank, low lighting. Uh, unless you're really diligent, it might be a little dirty. I know, you know, the, the average college uh, fish tank that I encountered was more than a little dirty. But no matter mm-hmm. what's going on, there's always that algae catfish and the hydrilla that survives in that tank. Mm-hmm. No matter how low the oxygen gets, no matter how low the light gets, no matter how the temperature changes, whatever. So. It has a plant with a wide range of conditions it can tolerate, whereas our native plants have a more narrow range. Anyway, it's a huge problem. We have it in Kansas. We have it here. We have it there. But the great thing you're going to find out when you read this article by Todd is that there are ways to get on it. There are ways if we work together, we can get it out of Indian Lake and other lakes. If we sanitize our boats properly, if we do what we need to do, uh, then we can keep from spreading it around. And finally, we need some help from you aquarium people. I know you're going to say you guys beat this drum a lot on fish nerds, but do not dump your fish and the contents of your aquarium into local waters, please, because that's where it all starts. This one we can't blame on big ships coming in the St. Lawrence Seaway. This one we can't blame on escapes from a carp farming place in uh, wherever. This is something that's on us as just individual people. Aquarius, you're beautiful people. We love you. We love that you love fish. We love that you study fish. We love that you take fish in and enjoy them. But if you're going to make a change in your life and you don't need this stuff anymore, do it right and do not spread it around because these species, whether they're plants or animals, do not belong in our waters. So enough well, said and, there. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how to prevent the spread of, of aquatic invasive plants. New Hampshire has a very robust aquatic plant program. We work really hard not to spread them around. It's already the law in our state that when you leave a lake, your boat is drained completely. You've inspected it for aquatic plants. And then before you go to another water, you power wash it. That's the law in New Hampshire. And we have uh, lake host programs in the state where we actually pay people to inspect boats before they go into lakes. So all summer long, if you're moving your boat from one lake to another, there's going to be someone whose job it is to double check your work as you're backing in. They're picking off every little tiny fleck of green or brown 
off your boat. In some places like Silver Lake, where I was today, they power wash your boat for you before it goes in the water, even if you already did it. So we're wow, that's about great. It. Well, there's only three well, pristine lakes in New Hampshire with no invasive plants. And, and Silver Lake's one of them. Silver, Silver Con- one. Yeah, Silver and Conway, my two lakes. Are wow, two of on the list. Yeah, and I and well, I that- power wash my boat between every every lake I go to. Well, of course you yeah. do. You're Clay Groves. You're a guide. <laughs> you're a, you're an example. You're an influencer. You better be doing that, boy. Yeah. Uh, but I'm telling you, it, you aren't any different than over in New York because I noticed in the at least in the water supply lakes, and this is the only part I'm real familiar with, but uh, especially uh, Shokin. They have guys down there that that inspect your boat, um, and you're only allowed to use like rowboats and stuff. But even you know Papacton and mm-hmm. and these lakes, yeah, they want them clean, um, they want them inspected, and they will have, they have facilities to get you washed off and 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 like that. So I you know we can work together, we can solve this, we can keep this from happening, or at least we can sure as heck slow it down. But we can't be doing all this stuff as anglers, you know, coming in the front door, keep you know taking our shoes off and keeping the house clean. If somebody's going to sneak in the back door and track up the whole the whole back half of the house with right. your muddy feet, you know, we, you can't we, we be dumping stuff. Yeah, we all have to work together, whether you fish or not. Let's uh, keep this stuff out of our uh, waterways. Right, and it mostly comes from like bilges on boats and like live wells. And if your boat holds water, that's where it's going to be sitting mostly. But it can stick to trailers and things like that as well. So you have to make sure your boat is totally drained. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, you you know, you think, oh, well, it's all dried up. But some of these things can encapsulate. Some of these things can be dehydrated and then come back to life. Mm-hmm. So you got to get it clear the hell off of there. Right. Well, I mean, they're extremely successful plants. You can't argue with some good, <laughs> like they are good genetics. They are going to survive. So you have to make sure it's hard for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Let's make it hard for them. Yep. And you can go on. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can see Todd's article at freshwrapwriter.com with photos of hydrilis. So you'll know what it looks like. But yeah, it, it actually you'll be, doesn't you'll matter. You'll be like, I've seen that before in my fish. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually doesn't matter what it looks like. Because what matters is when you come out of a lake, you clean your boat off. And then That's right. it doesn't matter if it's hydrilla or a piece of just regular grass or something. Clean your boat. Leave everything where you found it. Simple. Then you don't have to know. Just clean your boat. There it is. There it is. You heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here. Well, thanks, Tom. Okay, I got a couple of a uh, couple of salmon stories here. Ooh, I like a good salmon story. Well, you gotta love a good salmon story. And well, I used to work on the Enagimus Fish Project, the salmon restoration program in New Hampshire. So I, I've got I get excited about salmon talk. Well, let's get excited about salmon talk, man, because one's a bummer and one's an uplifter. So let's go with the bummer first. Oh, damn. Um, well, you want to finish with the downer? I mean, no, 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 on, no it's okay. Yeah, well, I, I want to make people feel sad once in a while. Well, and That's I don't where good art pass- comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, uh, uh, right. this is this is going to be sad. You know, she lost the kitten, but by at the end of the song, she's found it and everything's fine. Um, <laughs> actually, what we're and 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 um, I I love everybody all over this great country of ours, but. This is going to do you New England folks particularly proud because out in California, the Sacramento River, they've only had like nine, eight, nine sockeye come up that river this spring mm-hmm. or this fall, rather. And it's because of the agriculture water and these canals and so forth, not having enough water in them and the water being too warm and all this kind of stuff uh, with the droughts out there and the uh, fight over water and to keep the 
agriculture going and i can't weigh in on this i'm i'm not here to upset people um you know my own hippie behavior makes me want to say it's the man's fault but i'm not sure exactly where this is at uh, but I just know that with this drought, they're going to have to do something different or the, the sockeye in California, Sacramento River and the other. There's two more rivers uh, where they traditionally come up. They won't have that run anymore. It'll just go away completely. And it's hard because even if you if you wait too long, try to bring them back, that genetic is gone because the sockeye well, are, are river specific, aren't they? Yes, they are. And one thing they are have been doing is netting juveniles coming down the river. Mm hmm. So with a few fish that do get to spawn, they have managed to build a collection of sockeye that is from the river, and they're keeping hold of those. So they are hanging on to this genetic, but by a thread. So mm. so we need to, I don't know, just good vibes, prayers, whatever your belief system allows you to do or asks you to do or makes you feel comfortable doing. Let's Let's show a little love to everybody. Don't worry about politics. Don't worry about that. Yeah, and it's a hard, hard problem to solve. Because the droughts, are, droughts are a real issue, and the farmers need yeah, water. And, and, and farmers and, need water. And you and I rely on those farmers, believe it or not, and we have to have the farm goods. So we do. We do. We We're talking about massive. Yes, yes. There's no Band-Aid approach to this. There has to be massive changes in the way we eat, the way we do this, the way we do that. In the meantime, everybody, the politicians, the farmers, and the biologists are all going to have to work together to make sure we get this fishery propped up. Because, of course, like you've pointed out on the show, John Girock has pointed out on the show, there's 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 lumpers and splitters. Well, the splitters say this is a separate species. We don't want this genetic gone. We need it to, you know, or a separate subspecies. You know, we need it. We can't just say, oh, well, who cares? There's plenty of sockeye salmon in Alaska. What do we care? Right. We can't do that. We can't do that. Now, John, do you know the history of the sockeye runs? Were they traditionally strong runs in those rivers or were they already? Yes. They're during the southern end of the range. Like we, you, you know about it. Yes, yes, yes. They, they, you know, they, they are expecting, well, they're expecting something more along the line of my next story, oh. which is the Atlantic salmon are big into the Penobscot this year. Right. Uh, and the wreck, which the is wreck, big news. That's big. That is big. I mean, this is a river in Maine for everybody. It's a principal Maine river is one of the last. There's once again, we could talk about, you know, three rivers. This of the three, this is the main one. They haven't had a run this strong since, oh gosh, I don't have the article in front of me, but it's, it was, uh, 2019, 20, anyway, they, they've had one around 2200 or so by this date. They're already up to 15, 1600 fish. So Atlantic salmon adapting. I don't know what we're, you know, this is such short run data. I don't think we can make too wild, uh, a supposition off of it, but we are getting a good run of Atlantic salmon up the Penobscot River in Maine. And that is, a good news story, kind of a relief. What do you think? Well, so we let's let people know that there was a dam there for for a hundred years, and taking the dam out is what brought the salmon back. So that dam well, came out. Go. The dam came out a few years ago. So there was no Atlantic salmon run in that river to speak of, and they took the dam out to try to restore. It. They had a fish um, bypass system there, and they would get dozens of fish back a year, but not hundreds. And the dam was taken out, and immediately they saw an increase in Atlantic salmon using that river to get up to spawn. And and so that's kind of the history there. And then so the the numbers have been kind of here and there, but this year they really really did really well. And and that's by the way the tradition of New Ham New England waters. We had strong Atlantic salmon runs in all of our rivers. Uh, the Merrimack River, where I used to work on, had a strong salmon run before the dams were built. 
Penobscot, the Kennebec, all these big rivers had salmon runs. And then we built dams, uh, mostly for uh, hydropower and running mills back when uh, textiles were big in New England. And the dams are what wiped out the Atlantic salmon. Uh, the neat thing about Atlantic salmon is, is it's questionable as whether they are genetic to the river they're in. Like scientists aren't 100% in agreement on that. So okay. you, when you take a dam out, you can get salmon back in those rivers, even if your numbers, you don't have the genetics to match it. You didn't, work, didn't have a hatchery program to match it. Because they were finding Merrimack River salmon in lots of other rivers. Because Merrimack River had a strong salmon program, uh, stocking program for years. They just killed that, I think, 2020. They gave up on it. And so it's nice to see a river that didn't give up on it <laughs> and they're having yeah. some success. So yeah, they're really exciting. I like salmon, a really neat fish. And they're not a true salmon, John. Oh yeah? Well, your true salmon are going to die after spawning, right? Well, I thought it was just Pacific Atlantic. Do the, it's so a species thing. Well, you, so the Atlantic salmon is a species. Uh, salmon is a lot, right? It means the jumper. Okay. And then your, oh. your Pacific salmon, you got a lot more species there. You have your king salmon. You got your pink salmon, your silver salmon, you got your sockeyes, and those are all true salmon. They they spawn and they die. Atlantic yes. salmon, Atlantic salmon can spawn and then turn around, go back out to the ocean again, and then come back next year and do it again. So that's kind of well, a for an address fish, that's a really strong skill set. <laughs> it gives you yeah, a I, better chance of success. Well, you know, so we're gonna change your name to smart salmon. Yeah, smart salmon. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Now, we understand it's all a cycle. This Pacific salmon dye, all that nutrient goes into the system. It's all good. Uh, it just, it just, it just, you know, came out differently over on your side. Yeah. Well, we get our nutrients from dead lampreys. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> so, the lampreys, and, the, and they didn't talk about that in the article, but I'd be curious what the lamprey population is like in that river. Because it's doing well. It it's has doing to. Well. Yeah. It would have to. So, well, they had exciting. a link so you could, they had a, I'm sorry to interrupt, but they, they had a link so you could pull up and look at different rivers and they had like how many herring, how many lampreys, how many Atlantic salmon, how many of these things are, are you, you know, getting by and using and, and where we're at. So it's great that they're publishing this material. They're publishing it in a way that people can understand. People can, you know, look at it and say, well, heck, this is good or heck, maybe we need to do a better job. But, Let's get transparent. Let's get everybody in on it. There's a lot of great minds out there. There's a lot of great people out there that would help if they just simply knew what was going on. Yeah, and that's just, this is one more reason. I think Todd did a story last week about, about dam removal as well. We talked to Trout Unlimited. I'd like to see more dams come out because that's the number one impediment to, to fish migration and spawning. You want numbers of fish to increase? You got to restore habitat. If there's no place to make babies... You don't got babies. That math is easy. You don't have babies. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Now, in the Merrimack River, where I worked with them, there was between, between the salmon spawning grounds and the ocean, there were three giant dams and then hundreds of smaller dams and all the tributaries. So uh, even if they took out the three big impediments, the Great Stone Dam in Lawrence, the Lowell Dam, and the Amoskeag Dam in Manchester, the salmon still wouldn't be able to get to spawning grounds. So what they would do is they would, in the fish elevator, it was a fish elevator at the Great Stone Dam in Lawrence, and the fish would swim up this raceway, and the fish mostly were herring, lampreys, shad, and some, some salmon, and they'd be swimming to these raceways, and, and 
the raceway would crowd the fish into a giant hopper, like a big giant square bucket. And that would rise up 75 feet and dump over the top of the dam into another raceway where there was an underwater room where it was people's jobs. They had clickers and they would count fish as they swam by the window. That's how they got the numbers. And anytime, uh-huh. a, and anytime a salmon appeared in the counting window, the counter would slam their hand on a big red button. And these two doors would slam shut. And then the, there was another hopper in there would rise up and capture that salmon and dump that into another container, which then would go to the hatchery truck. And that salmon would get driven to the hatchery in Nashville, New Hampshire, where they would spawn it at the hatchery to try and keep those genetics as best they could. So there was, wow. no, there was no salmon run beyond the Great Stone Dam in Lawrence. And then once that salmon who did that run was spawned out in the hatchery, then the hatchery would take that salmon and bring it to Manchester. They would skip the Lowell Dam entirely and dump it in the river. And then for 10 bucks, New Hampshire anglers could target those big salmon, which by then were four to six years old. And they were fun to catch. <laughs> wow. I, I used okay. to catch them. Yeah, they would tag them. But that's, uh, that don't, they don't do that anymore at all. They've given okay. up on the program. They still move fish wow. over, the, over the dam, but they don't count them like that anymore. They don't trap the salmon anymore. They just let them go. Because wow. They, they well, weren't seeing numbers. They were seeing 30 to 60 fish a year for 20 years oh, with no yeah. change. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have some results. You've got to feel like you're gaining ground, I guess. Um, but wow, all the, all the ingenuity that went into that, that's pretty amazing. Right. But you know what, what it does work well for, the salmon didn't come back, but the shad, Herring and sea lamprey did great. Wow! With it. Yeah, their, their numbers are strong and still are, and they can spawn in the main stem of the stem of the river, so that they can they can get to places to make babies. So that's good. That is good. That although, is good. Although they did take the shad occasionally and put them in big hatchery trucks and drive them up past a couple of dams just to give them an easier uh, ride. <laughs> so just wow, that's it. That is too much, man. And, and the, shad, much. The, the shad mobile, we used to call them a shad mobile, had round, <laughs> had round tanks on it because shad need to swim in circles. They can't yes. Swim, they can't do squares. So That's right. That's right. Tanks. Yeah. Well, we talked, we talked about this while you had to draw circles on your boat deck when you had me on there. That's right. Back in the day. <laughs> Back in the day. Back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Well, listen, I you see you're pushing me dangerously close to a complete geek out on river species in the Northeast, and we just you know we got to keep this show within the within the limits. You know what I'm talking about? Fair enough, John. You know I could do an hour on this, but let's move on. No, we could we could go on and on, and I would love it. But I got to get to this next story mm-hmm. because this story is about a guy. Some crazy guy had this idea. Of catching all sixty-three record record record-worthy, record-worthy, yes, all sixty-three record-worthy fish species in Minnesota. Man, where do these kind of ideas come from? (laughs) We don't know where these ideas come from. But he had a little. The last guy I heard that did this, you know, he had plenty to do. But this little steeper hill to climb, Um, Caden Huttmacher, he's caught fifty-four species of fish that are put on that are catchable fish that have records for hook and line cat you know being caught on hook and line right in it's Mrs. important to set some rules up like that that's good all right so you know this kid caden huttmacher was still in elementary school and his dad asked him what kind of fish do you want to catch most what kind of fish do you want to catch next and he 
couldn't make up his mind. And he said, let's just go get them all. I want to catch every one of them, which is that youthful enthusiasm we all love. And uh, so off they went. And 11 years later, and a lot of gas, a lot of night crawlers, this is where they're at. And they've caught, they've caught, they've caught, they've caught this. There's 63 species that qualify for state size records. And Caden's caught all but nine of them. Um, his his biggest one, one of his favorites that he caught was a spotted gar, kind of hard to catch in Minnesota. And that's the only one he's had mounted because it was a state record. So oh, unfortunately, him. that's amazing. We've talked. Yeah, we've talked about how the state records uh, have to be uh, killed. But uh, the rest of them and this is fabulous. The rest of them is daddy makes these drawings and whatever, and then supervises a taxidermist. You know, taxidermist, you can just go in and tell them, hey, I caught this fish, and they'll make yeah. a replica. Well, that's there. They have this giant showcase in their house. It's got all the replicas in there. The gar mount is in there, but everything else, folks, is just replicas. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he reeled in that record gar in 2017, and he's been after it since, and they've got just a few more to go, got nine more to go. Um, well, that in my experience, the last ones are the hard ones to get. Exactly, the reason they're left. they're left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really stuck because his fifty fourth was a an American eel mm-hmm. on the lower oh. of Saint Croix, and uh, you can check that out on YouTube. Um, it took him six, seven years to get hold of that one, but uh, well, it, it's interesting because people, who, if you don't know, listeners, uh, if you don't know, American eels doesn't matter where you are; those are born out in the ocean, Sargasso Sea. So. They had to get all the way to Minnesota. So they're there, but you know, it's not like catching them on the coast. <laughs> it's a little bit more of a challenge. Well, it is crazy and to target. See, we all talk about, oh, I've caught this, I've caught that. But just like we're finding out with our gar adventures, uh, when Jeff and I started actually targeting, targeting those rascals, it was a whole new ball game. And mm-hmm. so to be go around after 63 species, well, <clears throat> Caden says, you know, the best part of it was hanging with my dad, hanging with my brother, uh, having a goal and basically have a ready set of excuses to get out and fish. And uh, he says, it's been the best part of my life so far. So I get that entirely. That's amazing. I, I do, too, man. I do, yeah. too. So I, we, should anyway. probably let, we should probably let people know for longtime listeners, you know this, but for newer listeners, you may not know that the Fish Nerds podcast started when uh, my, my friend Dave and I were on a quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in the state of New Hampshire. So when we see stories like this kid, we see ourselves. And that's why. Absolutely. So but you yeah. didn't just get hook and line fish. You wanted every, all 46 species. So you 48, caught. Yeah. Yeah. 48, excuse yeah. me. I'm sorry. But 48. <laughs> and you caught Nate, a shiner. And we you did. caught an eight a darter. Yep. <laughs> you you did it all. <laughs> we did. We we maybe shouldn't have. You know what? You know what I'll tell you, the, the, the biggest thing that Dave and I did wrong on our quest is not wait until the internet was ready for it. Is TikTok and you know Twitter they weren't ready yet, and Facebook wasn't there yet either. So we started it too soon. Because hey, now we'd that. be That's... now we'd be viral. We'd have our book deal, all the things. So let's hope yeah, this kid yeah. gets his stuff. <laughs> but let's reach out to him. Maybe we can get him on the show. That is a great idea. We're going to do that. And yeah. uh, but the thing is, you can't go with that sliding door stuff. You know, I mean, you 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 know you you know it's just like I feel sometimes about my restaurant. Had I had it now, I would be a big hit because sure. I could I I could do daily menus and just shoot them out over the over the web. But 
it was all because we were meant to be together, Clay. Right. We were meant to be together, okay? Oh, we're so If you'd have gone off and been a famous <laughs> author and had millions of dollars, you wouldn't have looked at me twice. I know. But now. I would still be you know, happier. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I can't argue with that. Let's get the hell on out of here. All right. Good times, John. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Okay, you got some reviews for us, my brother? Yeah. So, uh, Zoe and I got together. We got sent a package of old Trapper beef jerky. From Old Trapper, they're uh, they've a they have a marketing agency working with them, mailing influencers. They identify influencers and mail them free stuff. So they mailed uh, me some Old Trapper jerky, and Zoe and I have a little taste test for you here coming right up. Hey, Clay Groves, and who am I with? Zoe Groves. All right, yeah, young fish nerd. Yes, been fish nerding since you were. Seven, eight, eight, eight. Long time, long time to be fish nerding. All right, we're here because we got in the mail recently package from Old Trapper, old fashioned beef jerky, and we got it was a marketing and digital agency sent us. Kristen Mall sent us this package and wanted us to review it. She was recommended. She said, "Clay, do you ever do like reviews of things for fishing snacks?" So we got this. What do you think? It looks really good. All right, the ingredients are beef, brown sugar, water, salt, beef stock, uh, hydrolyzed <laughs> corn protein, vinegar, flavorings, and sodium nitrate. Right, so sounds like good stuff to me. I don't know what half it is, but I think that's I preservatives, it right? Because it's beef jerky. So let's see if we can open this bag up. Comes up in a Ziploc bag. And uh, I've seen this for sale at uh, Walmart, and I've seen it for sale at Cumberland Farms, so you can get this pretty near anywhere. I can't open the bag. Do you want me to try? Yeah. For the record, Zoe's also struggling. No, I'm not. No. All right, let's take one out. All right, I got it open. Let's take them out. They look good. Nice big hunks of, like, bark-looking mm-hmm. wood, uh, uh, meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look really good. Smell, Smell amazing. Smell like beef jerky, yeah. I mean, we're tasting it now. Mild. It's good. Hard to describe beef jerky flavors. This one this one doesn't have a flavor. They have all kinds of flavors. This is like a basic, like generic flavor. It's good. No bite to it in the end. I haven't got that yet. No. Yeah, I'm imagining it. But anyway, tastes real good. It's fantastic. Right, so you're rating this. You're on a day of fishing. You're hungry. I hand you a bag of this beef jerky. What's your reaction? Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. All right. So a big shout out and thank you to Old Trapper. Old-fashioned beef jerky for sending us out this package to taste. And uh, I'm going to not share the rest with Zoe. What? Why would you do that? I'll give you one more. The fishing season's over. We're done. Fine. All right. So, right. Yeah. So, five out of five stars. Beef jerky. uh, Old Trapper. Old-fashioned beef jerky. Total win. Agreed. All right. We're in. Thanks, Old Trapper. See, John, when you're an influencer, free stuff. It's where it's at. Hell yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and it's funny when the prisoners first started the podcast, Dave Kelm and I were like, let's keep this clean. Let's not sell out to anyone who will give us free stuff. And we've been doing it long <laughs> enough for no money. I've decided, you know yeah. what? give me free stuff. I'm okay with it. Give me free I'm, stuff. Give I'll me take free it. Stuff. Hey, Hey, look, fish nerds, uh, Friday poll, uh, back the first time I did it, it's back up folks. I, I got in a huff because they changed the way they did the polls on 
uh, Facebook, but now they've brought it back to the old format. So I'm back doing it. Um, but I asked what's your favorite snack on one of the polls and jerky, 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 jerky. So this is a customer service, my friend. This is not just an empty promotion. Our listeners are fishers. Our listeners are hikers. Our listeners are outdoorsy people. And jerky is one of those great refrigeration-free things that you could just carry around with you. You can stick in the locker on your boat. You can put it in your glove box. You can put it all the places where, boy, isn't it great to think I am hungry? And then you open a drawer, you open the glove box, you open the backpack, whatever, and a nice strip of this jerky is waiting for you. So it's all good. It's all good. And did you know, John, if a company pays you or gives you free stuff and you're talking about them on your podcast or your blog or on your TikToks, it's, it, it's, a, it's the law that you have to say it was given to you or you were paid to talk about it. You have to identify it as a commercial of some sort. Okay. So, yeah, so they gave it to us. <laughs> they gave it to us, and yeah. that was a commercial. That was a commercial. Yeah. That was a commercial. It even though it was a review, a, a review. It was an honest, re- honest review, too. We liked it. But it was an honest we review. We do. We, didn't, we don't it give was. good reviews just because no. it's free. No, no, no. You yeah. guys can be a little harsh, especially the Z girl. She she is. She doesn't, you know, she does not hold back. No, no. But she does like no. beef jerky. So, all right, let's move forward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hope this is all right, Clay, but I got a culinary corner for you tonight that's on the long side. I could take it. Uh, we're going to start off with a, it's a two-parter. I've got uh, a part on catching the fish. I got a part on cooking the fish. What do you say? Let's listen to biologist Laura Williams, who we've had on the show before, talking about lead-free tackle exchanges and the great work that Audubon Society is doing. And she's going to talk about her trip to Alaska. You ready to listen in on this? I'm totally in. Let's do it. All righty. I'm really excited to do this culinary corner today, or is it culinary corner? I guess we should quit caring. Say it how you want to say it. I am here with Laura Williams. I hope you all remember her from episode 313, where she came in and gave us the skinny on what they're doing up there, Maine Audubon Society, with the lead-free tackle exchanges and some of the other great work she's doing with Maine Audubon. Uh, But she recently had a massive mad adventure into Alaska. And as her and her wonderful husband, Jamie Moffat, had invited us up to Maine to spend some time fishing and hanging out, uh, we finally got to do it. And therefore, I'm going to get a story from Laura, and then I'm going to grab Jamie, and we're going to talk about the dinner he made us. But right now... Laura, I want to hear about the fish we caught. First of all, what species did you bring home from Alaska? So we brought home three different kinds of fish. Halibut, your big, the big one you think of when you go out to Alaska. Everyone's going out on a charter to catch some halibut. Um, And then we got some yellow eye rockfish and some black bass as well. And that's also, I think, a type of rockfish. If I look up my fish biology a little bit, it's just a, a popular name for it. Okay, well... The fish was delicious. Uh, thanks for sharing. We tried both types of uh, the bass and the rockfish, or both types of rockfish, however you want to look at it. But getting these fish was no uh, walk in the park, was no Sunday stroll. Fill us in on all the, all the adventure you went through just to bring this catch on home. Oh, oh, it was a time. So we, <laughs> we were planning a camping trip the night before, and we're gearing up. We got our tent and everything, and... We get the email that our original charter has canceled because of mechanical issues. So we called every charter. 
We finally got one that was still planning on going out. And uh, turns out they're the only crazy people willing to go out on these waters. So we get there the next day. Only boat headed out of the bay. And we end up in some pretty hairy seas. Yeah, good 20-foot seas, 40-knot winds. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a time out there. Boat was rocking. Half the fishermen were puking over the side and (laughs) you know but we caught some fish it was it was hard and fast quick and fast we stayed at a couple holes only for 30 minutes or so and uh yeah then we then we started to head back in and at one point the crew looks at us and goes well hopefully we can follow in this whale watching boat or we're gonna have to call the coast guard and that's never a good sign. <laughs> no, that is never a good sign at all. And given that information from experienced uh, sea people, you, you started cooking up a plan, a just-in-case plan. Let's hear about that plan. Yes. So, of course, first thing in the morning, we left the dock at 6 a.m. And they did the quick safety brief of, oh, this is where the lifeboat is. This is how you set off the Coast Guard beacon, yada, yada, yada. You know, they go through that in five minutes. You don't remember any of it because you're ready to go fishing. Uh, yeah, when <laughs> there was a good hour, I thought that boat was going to capsize and I had my whole plan mapped out. I was gonna, I filled my dry bag with some extra air, hoping that would float and I'd have some extra layers in there and a beer or two. And then right on top of the, the deck area, that's where the, the life raft was. And you had to spin this thing and open it up and that didn't deploy the Coast Guard beacon. So then you also had to open this other thing to deploy the Coast Guard beacon I had it all mapped out. That's exactly what I was going to do. And then maybe, you know, fifth step, I'd, I'd try to find my husband, Jamie, and be like, all right, come on in my lifeboat with me. <laughs> so all, all Jamie had to do was just try to stay afloat <laughs> and, and, and briefly, briefly, although uh, quick hypothermia is an issue. But you were counting on the adrenaline rush, right? To oh, carry yeah. you through <laughs> and uh, keep things together. And hopefully you would, you would, uh, you might be a, um, a little shaken and shivery, but by the time the chopper got there, still be able to uh, survive, still be able to get out of trouble, correct? Oh, yeah. That, that was the plan. And Jamie had already said his, his well wishes and accepted his fate and said he was going down one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. So briefly just describe what kind of a setup. I just, this is blowing my mind because you know, I, I live in a place where you go out on Hillsdale or one of our reservoirs and, and, a, and a three or four foot chop just sends everybody to shore. The idea of, 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 of navigating and trying to fish in a 20 foot sea uh, it's just just completely blowing my mind. So what what was the setup? You say you told me you're fishing like a hundred feet down for these things. Yeah, yeah. So you you drop the rod down about a hundred feet. It's got a big old weight on it. Sinks all the way to the bottom. You reel it up a little, and normally you would jig it. Um, but the the waves were throwing us around <laughs> enough. You just put it right in the rod holder. It j- jigged itself, and uh, for the halibut, it's got a circle hook, so it self sets. Um, so you just watch them hit that and then you reel them in. But our rockfish, that's, that's the fun, active fishing. You're actually jigging it up and down. You feel the bite like your normal bass fishing on the lake and snag it and set the hook. Wow, wow that just sounds incredible. And you have pretty good sea legs, I hear. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I'm not a big fan of taking any seasickness medication and normally I have have a beer or two while I'm out there and that uh, keeps the stomach pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, you and, and one of the other passengers, one of the fishers, had a Modelo before you went out and... <laughs> He regretted that decision, and then you, uh, you're a little bit of a pixie there. You wouldn't uh, leave him alone when he started turning green. Uh, yep, I, uh, I, I like to heckle people a little bit, <laughs> give them a hard time, and trying to trying to get them to shotgun a beer with me while we're out there in 20 foot seas, and he's uh, turning green, holding the trash can from the bathroom. So <laughs> he wasn't the biggest fan of me. <laughs> Girl power. All right, exactly. I love it. Now. These rockfish, interesting. I looked them up. The 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 black bass, dark fish. Expect what I expected to see, but but the yellow eye. Tell us what's really cool about a yellow eye. Oh, they're just this bright, bright red orange, and uh, yeah, you catch them all the way down at the bottom, and you pull them up. They fight pretty good, and it's a nice big flaky fish. So it's really good for ceviche. One of my favorite things to make with it, and. They're, they're a fun fish. <laughs> well, when I looked them up, I was just blown away. I was like, that did a big old goldfish. I'll tell you, it's a little <laughs> different, though. It's got a mouthful of teeth and, and uh, yeah, it comes out of those icy cold waters. Well, I'm glad that you were able to keep your wits about you, that you were able to find some fun in what otherwise would be for most of us an absolutely terrifying experience. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about it? Oh, I mean, I'm just excited to go back again. I think that charter <laughs> that I went out with, I'll I'll keep their number because they didn't cancel a trip at all this past summer, and uh, I can see how they kept those numbers up there. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess our slogan is, if you you got the guts, we're going. All right, well, that is fantastic. Thank you for coming in and sharing this with us. Thank you for sharing your home and your food and your hospitality and your humor and everything else with us and telling us about this great trip to Alaska. I know it's on a lot of fish nerds lists of things they want to do both freshwater and salt We've got a high bar now everybody if laura can do it you can too all right this has been crappie hippie or tree hugging redneck part one of culinary corner Boy, am I glad I'm having a beer because I'm I, I started getting a little seasick just listening to that. <laughs> I'm on coffee, John. I've given up my beers. But you're uh, giving up your beers when I, you are yeah. a wise man. You I am as of man. today, I am six weeks without a drink, without a touch of alcohol. So, wow. I know. And you're still fun. You're still lively. We all like mostly you still, fun, so. mostly lively. Most, yeah, there yeah. you go. But, but I, I, I always interesting. I do like a beer. Um, I'm not, and I'm not anti-drinking. I'm just myself taking a little break. All right. So, yeah, that was cool. And uh, what kind of salmon would she catch? I kind of blinked on that. Uh, well, she they got some halibut. But the thing that they served us, they got some yellow eye rockfish and a thing that up in Alaska they call black bass. But it's uh, it's another type of rockfish. It's called a black rockfish. Depends. You know how oh, different yeah. locations have seen, different I've names. I've seen but, so many kinds of black basses around. So <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of black basses in the world. Even the one that's mostly green is called a black bass. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're, we're good. We're good. Um, but yeah, just wild 20-foot seas. Uh People just thinking the boat was going to keel. Jamie giving himself up to the mother, giving (laughs) himself up to the father, ready, you know, whatever happens, I'm ready to go if if, if that's where I'm going. Terrifying, Um, John. (laughs) Terrifying. Terrifying.
You know, I talk about, yeah, you don't go out on a, you know, I've been out on Kansas Lake and, you know, four foot waves. It's like time to head to the dock. I can't even imagine such a thing. But I'm telling you, Laura, she is, she's a badass. I, I don't want to use potty mouth on the podcast, but there's no other way to describe this young lady. She is something else. A yeah, you can, of nature. You can use a potty mouth. I actually list this show as explicit on iTunes or Apple Podcasts just so, just in case once in a while we say shit, it's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm not ready to go that heavy duty, but I will That's call pretty heavy a, duty, John. <laughs> a BA, a Uh-oh. BA anytime. And I, and I will say it all the way instead of using the, the initials. Yeah. All right. Now, so they risked their very lives to bring this fish and then they invited us up and they thawed some out for us and boy what a treat it was let's listen to chef jamie moffett of the canopy on the boardwalk hotel jamie i hope i'm saying that right i really want to get the brand right it's a fancy hotel in portland great restaurant the salt yard restaurant fun bar the luna bar upstairs where you can get the small plates and stuff anyway jamie's working on recipes all the time he he just you know his head is in the kitchen all the time and he loves to cook for people so for once i got to just sit there and be served like the king of england or something and uh let's listen to jamie moffat talk about fish not just these recipes folks you're gonna pick up a lot of good fish cookery tips right now what are you gonna All right, Fishner Nation, we are back for part two of this great culinary corner. And now we got the man himself. If you also remember from 313, I had a recipe from Chef Jamie Moffat of the Colony House Hotel, the Salt Yard Restaurant, and the Luna Rooftop Restaurant and Bar. And it was a wonderful recipe. Kathy and I made it. We described how we made it uh, versus how he makes it uh, in his job as a professional chef. Well, guess what? We got treated by this professional chef to a private dinner of wonderfully fresh frozen Alaskan fish. We had both the yellow eye rockfish and the black bass or black rockfish prepared to perfection. Beautiful Mediterranean style presentation. I'm not going to go on and on about it because I've got the man sitting right here beside me and uh, he's going to tell me all about what he did. And then we're going to hear a little bit about why he made it that way. Jamie, can you take over for me and talk to us about that wonderful dinner, please? Yeah, so last night, as John was saying, we had some yellow-eye rockfish and some black rockfish. And I prepared it in a pretty simple niçois fashion, kind of leaning into the seasonality. And instead of using green beans, we went with some local Brussels sprouts and some roasted potatoes. And then I made a butter sauce at the end with in the pan that I seared the fish in. I deglazed with white wine and capers and some nice Sicilian olives. Then finished that with a bunch of butter and put that on top of the fish. It's a really simple, bright preparation with lots of briny acidity and really good flavor from the wine and from the capers and olives. Pairs nicely with a light fish. And then you have, you know, your potatoes on the side just because you can't go wrong with potatoes. 
And the real reason that I'm messing around with these flavors is I'm working on menu changes for one of the restaurants and I want to present our beautiful Maine bluefin tuna in a slightly different way. Most of the preparations we've done so far have been leaning more towards Japanese and Asian flavors. I wanted to try to get a little closer to some European flavors, so we're going to do a riff on tuna niçoise on our new menu with some really nice green olives, capers, lemon, and all of those fun flavors. So I'm trying to perfect things at home that I'm then going to use at the restaurant, and these are just the flavors that I've got in my head right now. Well, I'll tell you, you bold us clear over and I know anybody that comes to eat this new recipe that you're going to try at Salt Yard is going to be just blown away as well. All right, before we get into kind of a step-by-step, -step, what gets me is that there are some very strong opinions on how to flavor fish and garlic yes, garlic no, this, 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 that, no, whatever. That fish was no way overpowered by that sauce. It was totally enhanced by it. How do you make like a decision, that sort of uh, generalizations, where are you at with that in, in, in terms of being a professional? So when I'm cooking fish, I'm thinking about three main important things, and that is the integrity of the fish, acidity, and salinity. And you really want to have your acid and your salt balanced but prominent in your dish. Those are going to help enhance the flavors of the fish. They're not going to cover it up. If you use a lot of fats or oils in preparations with fish, it has a tendency to fall flat. Whereas if you're adding acidity from lemon or from vinegar or from white wine, you're going to bring out the lightness and the brightness of the dish. You're not going to cover it up. You're going to enhance the flavors instead of hiding them. Interesting. Okay, now I'm beginning to understand. So even a fish like I've had sole or crappie done with like capers yep. uh, and lemon, and then it's very, very good that way. So it's not necessarily we're picking on garlic or we're this kind of a thing, but be very careful with cheese, for example, when you're working with fish. You can really, you know, some people say never, no, 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 it's, it's a sin, but other people are like, oh, lighten up, you know, because a little bit here and there, a Parmesan crusted what's it is, is pretty darn good. But I, I hear, so that's a fat element. So you've got to be careful, correct? Yeah, the fat in cheese is going to cover up a lot of the nuance of the fish. And when I use Parmesan with fish, it's a part of the salinity component. I'm not looking for the richness of the dairy. I'm not looking for the creaminess of the cheese. It's there to provide salt to the dish and also additional layers of savoriness. The umami flavors and depth that you're going to get from Parmesan from the aging, you can't replicate in other ways. So that adds nuance to things that you wouldn't normally get just by adding salt. Alrighty, so there you go. That's the inside skinny on it. So it's not like we, we want to generalize and just declare one ingredient evil. It's the knowing why. It's the, the reason behind it. Because no, nothing is good or bad in cooking. It's, it's, it's their components. Just like paint to a, a canvas artist or notes to a musician, these are your ingredients for your art. And understanding the whys to them is key. Exactly. Just like playing music, there's no wrong notes. They're just combinations of notes that don't sound is good to the human ear and just like with cooking there's no wrong flavors there's just some combinations that aren't as pleasing to your palate and that's why we lean into these flavor combinations that we know and love tomatoes basil and mozzarella is always going to taste delicious it just works fish and lemon and capers are always going to taste delicious they just work well it's it not only answers the question about fish but I'm from Kansas City, and I tell you, you don't put no cheese on no barbecue. 
And I see now why we're doing with a sweet, a, a savory, a salty, an acidic sauces and acidic treatments of, of whatever we're doing, a chicken, a beef, of pork, whatever you're doing. And you smother that in cheese. You've just blown half your flavor equation right out the door, correct? Exactly. Fat carries flavor across your palate, but fat also can block your taste receptors. If you get your mouth coated with oil, you're not going to be able to taste anything else because a lot of these flavor compounds that you're tasting are water-soluble or fat-soluble. They're not both. So if you have a bunch of fat in your palate from cheese, you're not going to taste the nuance of other water-soluble molecules. All right. Well, absolutely fascinating. Super, super stuff. Now, just real quick, you, 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 you pop the fish out of the freezer, you put it in a water bath to, to start the thaw, then you, you, you got it to where, uh, what, you depress it a little bit with your finger, you saw it was getting soft, so you move it to the fridge. Yep. Okay. And go ahead and explain us exactly, explain us. Go ahead and explain us. And this is going to take a while, folks. No, go ahead and explain to us how you uh, cooked it up, because I'm going to spoil it right now, folks. This man has a black iron collection like, heck yes. So we had four burners on the stove, all uh, black iron pans going and slapping the fish in, into one and doing the other things in the other ones. But don't let me talk about it because I didn't do it. I just stood there and watched. That was also an absolute treat. Tell us about step-by-step, step, how are we going to do this fish to make it taste, taste right? So the biggest thing with cooking fish in a pan is moisture is your enemy. So I started out, I butchered the fish, I broke it down, I dried it off, and then when I was ready to cook it, seasoned it with salt and pepper. I preheated my pans so they were nice and hot and added just enough oil to coat the bottom and laid that fish in there. And the biggest thing at that point is you don't want to touch it until it's ready to move. If you go to get a spatula underneath your fish and it doesn't come up, leave it. It needs time. It needs to cook. So when the fish was ready to be flipped, I took it out of the pans and put it onto a sheet tray to finish it in the oven because I wanted to build my sauce in that pan with all that beautiful fawn from searing the fish. So at that point, I added some garlic and a little minced onion, sauteed that until we had some color on it, and then deglazed with white wine. And then at that point, I added the capers, I added the olives, I added lemon juice, kind of reduced that all down until it was a little thicker. And at that point, I threw in fresh chives, lemon zest, and finished with a whole mess of butter. At the point of adding the butter, you really want to take your pan off of the heat, so that way your butter sauce is going to stay nice and thick and emulsified and glossy. It's not going to break and get greasy on you. And then... Once the fish was out of the oven, it really only needed a minute or two. Finished it with the sauce on the plate, side of roasted potatoes, side of roasted Brussels sprouts, and that was it. Well, it was just wonderful. So we, we get it out of the oven. How do we know it's done? Uh, it's done when you can poke it and you don't feel resistance anymore. If you poke your fish gently with your finger and it gives you're good to go. You don't want to cook it any further past that. It doesn't need to be falling apart and flaking into nothingness. You want to still have some some texture left to that fish. It's It's got beautiful structure to it, and if you cook it to death, then you miss all of that, all those flaky layers and all that buttery flavor that those fish have to offer. Well, the starting it in a pan and finishing it in the oven is, is pretty crucial for those nice, big, thick pieces that you uh, served us. Is that right? Yeah, you're going you're gonna, to overcook the outsides before you finish the inside if you try to do everything in a pan with that. And then also, while your fish is finishing in the oven, you have time to build your sauce on the stove so your dinner is all finished at the same time and you're not 
waiting on your sauce to reduce while your fish is getting cold on your plate. It's all about timing those things so they're ready at the same time. All right, well, I'm going to run back over some ground just real quick because this is the thing. You know, once again, it's not that fat was the enemy. You finish this sauce off with a nice piece of, of, of butter, and but it, it, to keep it, I like the way you said to keep from getting greasy. We have to do, you know, the, the TV chefs always say, you know, this is crucial not to, not to break your butter, not to break your butter because it really will change not only the flavor, but in, in a textural, in a mouthfeel, you know, and, and in the way it actually interacts with your tongue and palate. If you, if you break it, you're going to get something different, something you don't necessarily want. Yeah, butter is a natural emulsified solid. So it's a combination of fat and water already, and it's in a stable form in that emulsification. So if you add that to a pan when your butter is cold and your pan isn't boiling, you're going to emulsify everything that's in that pan with the existing emulsification from the butter. You're going to end up with a thick, creamy, beautiful sauce. It's not going to be greasy and runny it's going to have body it's going to coat things like you want it to well that is fascinating i you know i love getting the inside details the inside skinny is there anything you want to follow up with uh no it was really great to have you guys up to come fishing i had a really good time cooking dinner i always enjoy cooking our alaskan fish and getting to feed people that's why i do what i do for a living and i do it at home too it's not just uh, a job well, Jamie says he's a fish, I mean, he's a chef first and a fisher second, but he, he laid it on me, folks. He laid it on me. He, he stuck with his big swim bait all day, and finally, toward the end of the day, it paid off for him. He had the biggest fish of the day, a real nice bass, probably, you know, three-pound range. Wonderful time, wonderful time fishing, wonderful company, wonderful conversation. I Thank you very much, both of you, Laura and Jamie. Chef Jamie Moffat of the Canopy Portland Waterfront Hotel in Portland, Maine. That is the Salt Yard Restaurant and the Luna Upstairs Restaurant Bar where they serve the small bites and the appetizers and the snacks. And then our wonderful friend biologist Laura Williams of Maine Audubon Society who is the queen of piping plovers and the main reason you see that little orange dot on the map that southern maine is a great place to go see a piping plover well you can thank this young lady right here because she is the reason that is going on she and the support she gets from her bosses and her organization the maine audubon society so one last thank you to you both and hey laura what do you say we grab the poles and get on out of here absolutely all right folks i'm cutting this off because i'm going fishing all right aren't you just slobbering all over yourself clay you know i'm a little jealous john to be honest like they're they're in they're an hour from me. They're I know Port- Portland, Maine. So I'm gonna have to make a trip down, and you uh, are and hey. and, uh, and check it out myself. Well, there there are super cool. Um, all you gotta do is kind of just you know ask, and yeah. uh, the doors will open because they um, enjoy company. They are just classic, classic, classic uh, good folks, and uh, they've got a great what they call I call them camps. And they've got a great camp right there on Lake Mousin. And uh, I'm sure they would love to have you down and have some fun. I think so. I think so. But I might, I might just pop in the restaurant. <laughs> well, and that too. All right. Yeah. Hey, Canopy House, throw this man a gift certificate. Will you please? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, All right. Thanks. And they're like, well, maybe when you say our name right, we will. It's like, oh, right. All right. I'll, I'll work on it. I'll practice, work on it. Practice, mean, practice, 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 practice. All right. Well, listen, I hope you all picked up uh, some good tips out of that. But I think you've been listening to a couple of fish nerds. Well, let's not. Should have been fishing. Nope, 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 nope. 
Slow nope, down. Not yet. Slow not your yet. roll, John. Slow down, partner. Slow your roll. I want to. I want to uh, talk about National Podcast Posting Month. Oh before yes. Before we, we get there, talk about that. Now let's uh, do it. We are rolling into the end of October here pretty quick, and that means November is coming up because that's what happens at the end of October. It seems like almost every year that happens. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and November is National Podcast Posting Month, and the challenge for podcasters is to put out a podcast every single day for the month of November. Now, for five years, I've been working on this. Last year, we failed because I had major tech problems. But for the years before that, we were successful in putting out 30 shows in 30 days. But the only reason we're successful is because listeners, that means you, help us out. Uh, we give a theme, you give us a call, or you record your response to our theme, and that becomes the podcast for that day, which makes 30 shows, which means we need a lot of support from you. So our theme for National Podcast Posting Month is fishy pet peeves. We want to know what are people doing or what, what bothers you about fishing? It could be anything, anything fish or fishing related. We'll take it off. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be about people. It doesn't have to be someone coming up. Hey, where'd you catch all them fish? We all have that pet peeve, you know, uh, that person. But, you know, you can talk about a lure or whalers design. You can talk yeah. about what is the, the what's it on my boat always go out every time I, I get to the lake or whatever. Yeah. You, you got peeves about equipment, people, um, your own fishing style, your buddy's fishing style. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, you bother yourself. Runs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Maybe, hey, maybe the fact that, you know, even Mother Nature, you can criticize. I mean, the fact that you get bird poop on your hat every other time you go fishing, if that's a pet peeve for you, talk about it. We'd love to hear about it. Yeah, we love it. And here's how you do it. There's a couple of easy ways to do it. One way would be to grab your phone, grab the memo function on your phone, push record, and tell us your name, where you're from, and Record your pet peeve. At the end of the everything you record, though, I do want you to leave us a way to contact you because we will be entering into entering your name into contests to win fabulous prizes. Uh, so we'll do that. So one way is recording yourself. Email it to clay at fishnerds.com or to the crappy hippie. What's your email? Crappy hippie at glasswaterangling.com. Yep, do that. Or you can go, uh, you can call us, our Fish Nerds hotline, 607-378-FISH. And it'll record right there, and I'll use it on the show right from there. Or you can go to fishners.com. There's a little microphone icon. You can record it there as well. So three, four ways that you can participate, and we need you to participate. And for prizes, John, we got some stuff. What do you got? We got some stuff. I'll tell you what. We'll base this on um, how many people we get, but I'm going to at least do... 50 bucks, 50 bucks worth of glass water angling, lead-free fishing tackle. That's crappie doulers. That's angle king. That's ned heads. That's jig heads. That's grub heads. That's uh, slick weights. That's lead-free split shot. That's all kinds of good stuff that we carry over at glasswaterangling.com. There's going to be a $50 prize pack go out to some lucky winner. And if we get more than 10 submissions, and there's going to be two prize packs that go out. If we get awesome. more than 25 submissions, there's going to be a 100 dollar prize pack that goes out because if we get 25 submissions clay and i can just kind of sit back and watch clouds go by and make the whole thing about y'all so yeah that, that's I'd what rather, we're doing i'd rather be about you than us i want to hear listeners absolutely i also absolutely. have a stack of fishing books i've reviewed over the last couple of years on the podcast sitting on my desk that need a new home so some of the people random people who call in will get mailed some books some fishing books uh, and I even have the Panther book, the coffee table book here I want to get rid of. So 
that's not a fishing book, but we reviewed it on the show a few weeks, a few months ago. I did a whole show, <laughs> a whole show with no fish in it, uh, but it was a good interview. So it was worth it. Um, so these new books need new homes. It could be your home. You could have new books to read. There you go. That I, oh, that, that I have pre-read. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about, about a pre-read book, John, they still read as well as brand new. Like, there you go. They don't wear out. So lots of fun. Hey, and, and you have like a collectible, right? You have a like an editor's copy of of uh oh, most of my mo- most of my books are the editor's version. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Listen to this, folks. Well, yeah. listen, your next trip to Antique Roadshow could start right here. Right. You can have a book with mistakes in it. <laughs> you find a book of grammar errors. <laughs> So, well, that'll perfect. make it more understandable to people like me. Yeah, perfect. Again, the, the Fishers Hotline is 607-378-FISH. Uh, we'll put all the other links in the show notes so you can grab them all there. But please participate in this. It'll make it a lot more fun. And the more people that do it, the better. If we get 60 people, we'll play two a day. So not a problem. Dang straight. Dang and, I'd be, straight. and I would be so happy with that level of support. So easy. Now, John, you can end the show. All right, you've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been out fishing. Big fat thanks to Wally Pleasant for our theme music, Diana's Bath Salts for our news theme, the mysterious Baitcaster Cylinder for our uh, Culinary Corner theme music. Uh, Of course, we make thank our families for letting us uh, do the silly podcast, and of course, our listeners and Patreon supporters as well. You know, we didn't we didn't thank in there, John. Uh, We didn't thank Mr. Todd Correer. You're missing the Todd. The Fish Rap Rider. Thank you, Todd, for joining the podcast and supporting us pretty much every show or every other show you are. Right. And you Laura are just and a Jamie. Gem. You are a gem. And we all need to thank Laura and Jamie as well. Laura and Jamie as well for inviting this old Kansas boy and his sweet wife up for some good times in Maine. Hello, my first trip to Maine. Epic. I will be back. I, uh, I think uh, Mainers are a lot like Kansas. They just live in the woods. They do. They do. Maine's a beautiful state, too. And this time of year, it's holy gorgeous. smokes, did you nail the foliage? Oh, yeah. you know, we, it was, it was, look, when I came in 2019, I came at peak in the White Mountains. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to compare. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was mighty fine. But mostly I was, you know, I was out there uh, being pushed around the lake by a guide. Laura guided me all over the place in her deck boat and uh, she put me on some fish. And by golly, I was paying a whole lot of attention to that. So out of the corner of my eye, yeah, I caught plenty of beauty, but by and large, you know me, I got to catch me a yellow perch. I got to catch me a pickerel. I got to catch me stuff I can't catch at home, man. That's a lot of fun. All right. So, John. Remember to follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. We did it. We made a podcast. Or deep in the ocean, casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. John, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you, Clay. And have a safe trip back to Kansas. I most appreciate that. And you be safe yourself. All right, brother. Bye.